Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Madiba. If you happen to be in our area, you are most welcome to visit us. You'll surely feel at home. We appreciate your prayers for our ministry. We hope today's sermon will be edifying to you, your family, and your friends. Welcome.
Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, once again, it's a privilege to just to come and fellowship around the Word of God. And we appreciate the Lord for His grace and mercy, and especially for His protection. We uh, absolutely solicit His protection uh, given the uh, trying times that we find ourselves in. It looks like uh, the world will never go back to uh, normality. Uh, given, But we as the Bible students, we have been foretold that these things shall come. And here we are. But we know that the word of God will defeat Satan anywhere, anytime, and under any condition. That one, I love it so much. The word of God will defeat Satan anyway, anytime, and under any condition. Now, I thought maybe we should just continue where we left off on Wednesday uh, when we spoke about the spiritual training. Uh, spiritual training. And now, the reason we are doing this live, the intention is that we should not lose the momentum of observing the service times. So it is as much as people could can catch up with this later, it's advisable that we do this together at the same time. So without waste of time, let us just go to the reading of the weight. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 5, Proverbs 1, verse 5. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. I love this proverb. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise Cancer. I want to speak again on spiritual training. Maybe another scripture to follow up in Philippians, the fourth chapter, the verses 9, it reads in this manner, Those the things which ye have both learned and received and had and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Those things which you have both learned and received and had and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now I said I want to speak on spiritual training. Paul says things that you have both learned, seen, received, observed. In me, you do those things. And the scripture says, a wise man will listen, and his knowledge will, his understanding will increase, and he will attain wise counsels. Now, let's just pray before we carry on. Gracious Heavenly Father, we appreciate you for your grace and mercy, and for the time that you have granted for us, for us to be able to come and fellowship around your weight. We pray for every brother. We pray for every sister and anyone that will listen to this broadcast. 
may it be a blessing dear god as we invite you just to be part of it all these things we ask them in the name of jesus christ amen god bless you richly i said i want to speak on <clears throat> spiritual training we spoke about it uh on wednesday and if one would want to catch up you need to go and start to where we started off on wednesday speaking about how important spiritual training is now and how important it is to have people to look up to spiritually especially in the message of the hour now <clears throat> brother brenham speaks here in the message take to take on the whole armor of god paragraph 2:1 he says a no nation would dare to send a man on the battlefield untrained no nation would dare to send a man on the battlefield untrained he might not only get himself killed but another group you see if if you send somebody that is not trained in the front lines of the battlefield they may not only be the ones that get killed they may cause others as well to be killed so an untrained person is not only dangerous to themselves but is as well dangerous to the people that he is in the battle with because if he is not trained he is going to risk the lives of the people that he or she is in the battle with against those that they are fighting against so untrained individual in military is dangerous and as well an untrained person uh, spiritually is dangerous i'm getting ahead of myself you know even a soldier in the battle they are they are trained that while the battle is raging should a soldier be captured by the enemy uh a soldier when he has been captured by the enemy he is not going to divulge military secrets no matter uh the amount of torture that soldier is subjected to is not going to is not going to make that soldier to divulge the secrets of military but when he is not trained and a captured soldier later becomes what we call a mercenary because now later the after he has been captured the enemy can use him against his original army i hope here you understand what i'm talking about now but a trained soldier once he's captured by the enemy he would say i'd rather die than to risk the well-being the integrity of my original army but now if you take it and you look at it spiritually you will see as well spiritually that it applies a person that is if we are fighting in recent times in the message of the hour we have heard people that have been captured by the enemy our enemy is satan and have been captured by his army demons uh, but instead of fighting a battle of integrity some of them have gone on to attack the original army that they once belonged in that's why you have statements that say 
I was in the message for 30 years. I left, and this is why I left and submitting incoherent reasons for the departure. It's because this individual, to begin with, was not a trained soldier. No matter how many years this individual was in the message, but was not a trained soldier. A trained soldier will seal his testimony even on the death debate. That's what I believe. Now, let me go back to the quotation. And the prophet says, And no nation would dare to send a man on the battlefield untrained. He might not only get himself killed, but another group. He doesn't know how to take a hold, so he must be prepared for it. And the nations are wise to that. They get their men ready. This is what I'm talking about. That in the message of the hour, and in our local assemblies, and especially in our assembly, we have the old veterans have to train the young ones how to fight the enemy. The beauty about it, the benefit of having the old veterans and the newly recruits is that the old veterans have got the wisdom and the newly recruits have got the zeal. So once you mix the wisdom and the zeal, you've got a very good combination. But when zealous people and experienced people are at loggerheads, you are not going to have any benefit whatsoever. That's why I say, you that have been long in the message, my challenge to you, who are you counseling? Who have you adopted in your spiritual space? And say, this individual or individuals, I am going to be available for them, not for politics, not for church politics. I'm going to be available for them as a prayer partner, as a counselor, as a soundboard, a person that they can come to and vent when the battle intensifies. We'll get into that and unpack it because in the absence of a solid spiritual training, you have, uh, you have people going in a zigzag way and the retention becomes poor in the message of the hour. There's what we call in, in within the pastoral cycles, there's what they call closing the back door. Closing the back door, it simply says, people, when they get baptized, do they remain in church and reach the stage of maturity or they come through the front door and live through the back door? Now, tell me, you, you can say whatever. I've had people breaking that are baptized. We baptized 50 people over the weekend. My question would be, yes, 50 came through the door, but did they remain in church? And have they been solidified in faith or have they left through the back door? Most churches, the back door is open. And the reason it is open is because what closes it is the veterans that get excited about a newborn in the kingdom of God. And they rush and rally around that individual and provide counseling and give them solid advices. That's what is needed. But however, we are going to unpack it so that you understand what we are talking about. Now, look at the ministry of Jesus in the message, A Lamb and a Dove, paragraph 5-0. The prophet says in this message, A Lamb and a Dove, uh, 5-0. 
He says Jesus was training some men that was going to take the gospel to all the world, 12 men. So he lived a sanctified life. This one I have to emphasize. You can never train any individual until you yourself is living a sanctified, a separated life. Because once you become a spiritual counselor or trainer to somebody, you are going to influence them. So your influence had better be right. And the best way for it to be better life, you have to live a sanctified life. Jesus trained the disciples, but it began with a life, a sanctified life. Now, Jesus was training some men that was going to take the gospel to all the world, 12 men. So he lived a sanctified life and forfeited every worldly pleasure for their sake. We ought to forfeit our worldly dressing and our worldly pleasures and things like that for the sake of the people we are trying to lead to God, the outside world. So that means for us to be able to provide solid training, those that have come before, veterans, people that claim I've been around for long, your life has got to be so exemplary. Your life has got to be so uh, godly influential. The operative weight here is godly because you can be influential, but in a wrong way. Now, but Jesus, before he trained the disciples, he, he, had, he sanctified his life. And we're going to check, I mean, Jesus didn't focus on so much on big crowds. He just called the 12 men. And one obviously became, uh, uh, later on we know what became of Judas, but he took 12 and he trained them, provided a solid spiritual training. And through those men, the gospel reached the world. It, it went and created such a commotion and interrupted systems around the world. And even 2,000 years later, it is still doing exactly that because the people that it began with were well-trained. I say in the end time, the reason we have weak Christianity is because we have weak training, spiritual training. And we're going to unpack what we speak about here. Now, there is what we call, even when we speak about a child, there is what we call a formative influence. What you are today, somebody influenced you to be the way you are. You, the, your mannerism, how you speak, how you do certain things. Somebody had an influence on you in your formative years. And that influence, we call it a formative influence. Even spiritually speaking, today, how you are as a brother and as a sister, somebody had an influence on you. That's what we call a formative influence. And my question would be, and a formative influence simply means an influence that shapes and develops a character in a certain way. Now, my question would be, since you have been a Christian, you have been a Christian, number of years that you have been a Christian, who have you had a formative influence upon? Who are the individuals that you can point out and say, that sister, as soon as she came in, I was ready to receive them. 
I'm the one that taught them how to pray. I'm the one that taught them how to approach reading the Bible. I'm the one that taught them how to read the spoken way. I'm the one that followed up on their spiritual routines. When they missed church, I'm the one that followed up on them. And even now, as we are, we experienced uh, Christians. My question would be, as much as churches are closed for regulations, who are we following up on as experienced Christians to say, let me follow up on sister so-and-so and check how they are doing, not only physically, not only materially, but spiritually. And if they need an upliftment, can I make myself available to uplift them? The problem today, Christians, and I'm going to get into it, there is poor discipleship because a lot of people have abdicated their responsibilities. It is the responsibility of the pastor. It is the responsibility of the deacons. But if it is the responsibility of the deacons and responsibility of the pastor, what is your responsibility as a disciple of Jesus Christ? What role do you play in discipleship, in making sure that your fellow disciples are encouraged, are solidified, they don't have a foggy minds because of the times that we are living in? We're going to get into this so that you understand what we're talking about. Now, let us look at the example, a scriptural example of the formative yes or the formative influence, as I spoke about. You look at the scripture in the book of Acts 18, verse 24. Acts 18, verse 24. It reads in this manner, if it has been found. It says, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Look at, look at uh, this individual. Look at our brother, Paul, how the Bible describes him, a man that was mighty in the scriptures, the man that was an eloquent speaker. This man had a persuasive skills when it came to the holy scriptures. But look, the Bible mentions that he only knew the baptism of John. So it shows the eloquency. It shows, that's why, never confuse eloquency for good scriptural or spiritual training. You can be eloquent, but be poorly trained. It is not in the speech. There's quite a lot of elements that go into spiritual training. But let us look at it here. Then it says, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. He be- and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had had, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God 
more perfectly. Brethren, look at it in this way. This man is eloquent, mighty in scriptures, bold. He comes, he declares the things of God, but he only knows the baptism of John. Look, look, look at the, the spirit of discipleship that was there in this couple, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Now, look at it. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't become clannish and withdrew themselves into the corner and say, I, he, he speaks well, he's an orator, uh, but he doesn't understand the mysteries of God. A true disciple or a true display of discipleship, its impact, its influence. They say, they called him aside. They looked at that. The man has got the gift. The man has got the boldness of what is required to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't undermine him and say, he's not coming to our church. This person is not a mess because by the look of things, because now they were now under the ministry of Paul. And this man was preaching the message of John. And that means Paul was not in the message of the hour. He loved God. But the message of the hour, it was not John's message. It was Paul's message. But look, they didn't just become clannish and say, he's just, a, he's, just a, he's just an outsider. They called him into their home. And as a couple, look, it doesn't say only the brother. A brother and a sister. They must have invited him for lunch, a sleepover for dinner. But when they came, they sat it down. I can imagine in that house after Priscilla had prepared the meal and after the dishes were done, here's Priscilla, here is Aquila. They are sitting down and speaking to a Paul, a preacher, and they are expounding. And here I'm deliberately bringing Aquila into the picture just to upset certain people deliberately, especially those that think that sisters cannot be uh, spiritually trained. Here's Priscilla was spiritually trained and was able to work alongside her husband. And they are sitting down with Apollo. Remember, this couple, they were tent makers. They shared the same occupation with Paul. Go and check the background of this couple. But I'm, I'm moved by how they were able to sit him. And I believe that when they spoke to him, they were not a co-descending. It was not a, a question of checking him out or testing him how far he knows. Because a lot of times people that claim to know the truth in the message of the hour, instead of being a conveyor of the truth, we want to take the truth and boast and become condescending and play as if we are playing a quiz. It's not a quiz. This is a soul-winning business. And if you know the truth, you have to handle it with respect, with dignity, and being considerate that you must help a fellow human being. So they are sitting with him. They are not dismissive. I can imagine they must have started and just to hear his understanding of John's baptism. I can imagine how they must have been patient to hear him out as he explained how he ex understood the things. They were not condescending towards him. They were respectful, engaged him with respect. 
And as they were sitting there, I can imagine they say, hey, brother, you know about John baptism. Actually, John, the reason he baptized this way is because in his day, this was the dispensation. But in our time, when Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and the disciples went into the upper room and the baptism now became this baptism as it was revealed by the Holy Ghost. And we've got a messenger of the hour in his Paul, we wish that one day you can meet him and hear him out because he's the one that expounded these things on earth. So it was done in an environment of love. It was not done in an environment of disrespect, of undermining. The attitude that I see of message believers today cannot win a sinner easily because we are so puffed up because we claim to know the truth. But we forget one time we were like them knowing nothing. But that was not the case with this couple. They were very considerate. Now, Brother Brenham, in this message, a true disciple, in paragraph 107, he says, says we would see Jesus, that is the spoken word, paragraph 107. He says, a real, true disciple would bring you right straight in the presence of Christ. And from there, Christ would show you what he had to do. A real, true disciple would bring you in the presence of Christ, not in the presence of a church. Not in the presence of a bishop, not in the presence of their pastor, in the presence of Christ. And from there, Christ would show you what you have to do. Now, a true disciple, the great the 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 the, the core, at the core of solid spiritual training, it is to make an individual to have an awareness of who Christ is. Here, let me put it this way. Not even, even, even Brother Brandon would say, new birth is a personal revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ personally revealed to a believer. It is the revelation, new birth, a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have to understand the only personality that you have to introduce as a disciple, it is Jesus Christ. Yes, a pastor can preach, but ultimately it must lead it to that individual knowing Christ. Yes, you can tell them that God sent the prophet in the end time, but ultimately that person has got to come to the full awareness of Christ, where Christ is revealed to them. That's what we call a true discipleship. Now, but a problem in the end time, we introduce our church, we introduce our men of God instead of introducing the God of the men of God. But here is my question now to you. Who are you spiritually mentoring? This is for everyone that is listening to me at this point in time. Who are you spiritually mentoring? Mentor, mentorship is there in the Bible, 
but the Bible will use an ancient English and call it a counselor. And if I use the biblical language, I would say, who, to whom are you a spiritual counselor to? Every Christian has to be a counselor to somebody because we live in a sinful, sick, broken world. So therefore, everyone has a role to play in becoming a scriptural and spiritual counselor. Who are you counseling? Does a week go by where you, uh, and, and you know, when you've got the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will put people's needs on your radar. You, you know, when you are sensitive to the Holy Ghost, you'll wake up one morning and just feel a burden. It happens with me sometimes. Two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, I'm awake and I'm thinking of this particular brother. And it's just heavy on my heart that I need to speak to the brother. And if it were possible, I would ring him around that time. And first thing in the morning, I pick up with a call, my brother, you've been on my heart. Is everything right? That's what we call being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. My question to you as a believer, in the last month or so, or in the last three months, if I become very generous, or in the last six months, if I become even more generous, when was the last time where an individual's name came to you and gave you a restless night and you thought that I've got to do something and reach out to them? Has it ever happened? If it has not happened, then you need to ask yourself a difficult question. Am I operating under the radar of the Holy Ghost or not? That's the question that you have to ask yourself as an individual. I will ask the question again. Who are you spiritually mentoring? I want this to sink in. I want you to process it. The last six months, who have you spiritually mentored? Who have you spiritually trained? Whose spiritual life have you had an impact on? Who have you spiritually nudged in the right direction? Who have you given spiritual solid advice to? Who have you prayed for? Those are the questions that you have to answer post the uh, uh, broadcast. I, I think we are at a stage where this is not a session where I come and just tell you what I think you need to know. I think this is a time where we've got to action things that we hear because without action, there is no impact. And without impact, there is no influence. But let's unpack spiritual mentorship. Proverbs 11 verse 14, it says, where no counsel is, the people fall. Where no counsel is, the people fall. The Bible does not say where preaching is, is not people fall. The Bible says, does not say where music is not, people fall. 
it says where there is no counsel, where no counsel is, the people fall. Our young people are returning back to the world because there is no counsel. You know, some of us we learned later on. I like what I think it is Pastor Godwin Chitsini that he likes to say when the battle terrain changes, the battle strategy has to change. I, I believe the way we engaged, the way we were engaged as young people should be different on how we engage young people today. We came during a time where there was no social media, where there was no influence of mass media, but today the influence is there every second. So it means that you cannot operate and approach things the way you approached them many years back. You need to change the strategy. That is why I want to submit that where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. If one thing that I want to do with this broadcast, and I want to read that statement, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. If there is one thing that I want to achieve with this sermon from part one, part two, is to convert every listener into a spiritual counselor. Because the scripture says, if there is no counseling, the people fall. But in the multitude of counseling, of counselors, there is safety. Today, we blame our young people, the way they dress, the way they conduct themselves. But the question would be, who's counseling them? Who's intentional about them? Who's worried about them? You know, you can be worried and do nothing about it. It is of no use. If worry doesn't prompt, uh, prompt you into an action, then there is a problem there. You're going you're gonna to just be a complainer. But we need every brother as a disciple of Jesus Christ to be a counselor to another brother. We need every pastor to be a counselor to another pastor. We need a deacon to be a counselor to another new deacon. We need a trustee to be a counselor to another new trustee. We need an aged woman to be a counselor to a young woman. We need an aged man to be a counselor to a young man. We need a young person to be a counselor to a fellow young person. Because we spoke last time about creating relationships that hold you accountable as an individual. People that can follow up. Have you prayed? People that can follow up. What have you been reading about? People that can follow up. People that can be straightforward with you and say, look, I've been speaking to you for quite some time. But you have never dropped any scripture, any quotation. Is there any spiritual material that you are busy with to make a follow-up? And when you become a counselor, you must remember you cannot be a populist. If you want to be popular, you cannot be a counselor. A counselor is somebody that has got to level things with the people that they are counseling. 
Now, the scripture says, well, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I remember when we came into the message in the early years, every brother was our counselor. Every sister, if an aged woman meets you in town and your conduct was not proper, they were not going to hide and wait to tell the deacons behind the scene. They rather, they called you aside and leveled it with you right to the, no time for gossip. Tell you that, look, young man, what you are doing is wrong. It does not represent as well. Are you going to make it right or what are you going to do about it? But today there seem to be fear in terms of holding each other accountable. And that is why the standard is dropping. Even at the minister's level, you couldn't just come up and be excited about a revelation that was misaligned to the way. Fellow ministers were going to hold you accountable. But today, any person can wake up and just say any outrageous thing under the illusion of revelation without being held accountable. Message believers, we need to hold each other accountable because if one misrepresents us, it drops the standard and the perception of how the world perceives the message of the hour. Let's carry on. Proverbs 15, verse 22. It says, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. This holds it through true to in every sphere of life. If you have a purpose but you've got no counsel to establish your purpose, it's going to be disappointment. You, if you, you, you know, in, even in business, if you want to run a business, you've got to get a business mentor. Even in music, if you want to be a musician, you've got to find a fellow musician that will become your mentor. In every sphere, in military, everywhere, you have to have a mentor. So even spiritually speaking, you have to find somebody that you believe in, in your local assembly, somebody that can become your prayer partner, somebody that you can confide in, somebody that you can tell them about your vulnerabilities, somebody that you can tell them about your ups and downs, somebody that will not laugh at your imperfections, but somebody that will help you through your imperfections, somebody that will keep it real with you, somebody that will level matters with you, somebody that will hold you accountable, somebody that will love you, somebody that will pray for you. That is needed by every individual within the body of Christ. Somebody that will encourage you when you are discouraged because discouragement is a very dangerous demon that can push you into the abyss of depression. So you need an individual that can provide counsel. Now, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Now, I want to move into something and really unpack the whole uh, concept of discipleship. I've seen it is something that is muted. Discipleship. What does it mean when we speak about being a disciple? What does, does it mean talking about discipling someone? What does it mean about discipleship? A lot of people that I've seen attempting to display or practice discipleship, it was just to convince people that my church is better than your church, my pastor is better than your pastor. Nonsense! That is not discipleship. 
And actually, the disciples, all this time, they once had the same, where they found a man preaching about Jesus. They stopped him and said, you don't belong to our group. And they came to Jesus enthusiastically say, we stopped another man preaching the gospel on the other side because he is not one of us. Jesus says, he that is building with us is with us, and you need to encourage such. But today, that is not the case. But I want to speak about discipleship. Discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the weight of God through accountable relationships guided by the Holy Ghost. Did you hear that? Discipleship is intentionally operative weight. Intentionally is not by default. You don't wait to, for them to call you. It is intentional. I'm intentional about this brother. I want to influence this brother. Godly. I want to equip him about what I know about the way without being condescending. I want to visit him and sit around the table with him and share the word of God with him. I want, I want to sit down with him and help him how to overcome the battles when they come his way. I want to be there for him as a fellow a spiritual soldier. I want him to know that we've got dependable people within the army that he can rely on when things are tough for him. Discipleship is intentional, is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationship. When we came into the message, you couldn't miss church twice without somebody following up on you. Not a deacon, not even a pastor. And another brother will pop in and say, we haven't seen you. What is going on? Oh, I've got money, challenges for transport. No, we'll sort it out. And it gets sorted out. Then a person goes to church. But today, a person can disappear for six months. Ah, no, it's just up to the pastor. The pastor must make a follow-up. Deacons must make a follow-up. You are a poor, you are a poor disciple when you do that. A real disciple does not abdicate responsibility. There is intentionality on equipping other believers with the word of God through accountable relationships guided by the Holy Ghost. That is very critical. Guided by the Holy Ghost. Because if you are not guided by the Holy Ghost, you end up producing your own disciple that have got your own bad habits. And by so doing, you create double-fold children of hell. It has to be guided by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are two pillars of discipleship. It's a, it's a foreign concept among us, two pillars of discipleship equipping believers with the weight. Accountable relationships. Maybe you, as an elderly believer, do you have a young person that is accountable to you? How they are dressed? how they conduct themselves, 
how they move? Can you hold them accountable? Have you created such a, a safe space between you and them that you can hold them accountable without them feeling that you are out to get them? Because remember, once you, once you hold me accountable, it has to be done within an arena where one feels safe, where I can trust you with my vulnerabilities. And you have to be deserving to be trusted. Now, equipping believers with the weight through accountable relationships by the Holy Ghost, those are the two pillars of discipleship. Now, another thing that I've seen, because we are busy, and rightly so, we've got to make a living. There are bills to be paid. But the devil has sucked us in until we think we don't have time. Now, I'm asking if Aquila and as well as Priscilla had time to provide spiritual counseling to Paul without waiting for Paul, and yet they were tent makers. They were commercially active. That means they had time to do that. So even you in your busy schedule, you have to find time. Because remember, what holds you accountable, if you, if you train a young person on scriptures, on prayer life, on conduct, all those things, how you train them, they are going to hold you accountable because you simply say, this is how it is done. You are creating a setting, a standard. And if you that have told them about a standard, if you drop the standard, they're the ones that will tell you that, uh-uh, you're holding, you're dropping the standard. A lot of times we don't want to provide counseling because we don't want to be held accountable by the people that we are providing counseling to. But we have to be. If we are true disciples, we have to provide counseling. Now, coming here, something here that I want to flag. In the message, Thirsting for Life, paragraph 52, the prophet says, if you are a Christian, you long to go where other Christians are. If you are a Christian, you long to go where other Christians are. But because of a, a, a culture of individualism, I prefer things this way. I like things this way. People have created, people have made themselves islands. Me, I prefer my own space. The devil will ambush and kill you in that little own space that you think you own. A Christian, if you are a Christian, you long to go where other Christians are. This I cannot emphasize. What, what does it speak about, even before I complete the whole quotation? You know, the preaching of the weight is so great. The teaching of the weight is so great. But what is more powerful and what reinforces the preaching of the weight and the teaching of the weight 
It's a fellowship when you sit around the table and have a fellowship about what you believe in. Fellowship is the one that used to strengthen new converts. But today we baptize them. We don't even know where they stay. No one visits them. No one checks on them. They just carry on. But when during that time after a sister has been baptized, a sister will go where she stays. They'll check up on her. Some of them will even help in terms of revamping her wardrobe. But not today. Today we are spectators. That one that we baptize, maybe a month down the line, they come still dressed in the same way. Aged women are the ones criticizing. Doesn't the pastor see that her dressing is not right? It's not the pastor's responsibility. The pastor is preaching. You, as a fellow sister, you need to sit down with them and provide counseling. Fellowship. If you are a Christian, you long to go where other Christians are and fellowship with other Christians. So you cannot stay away from church and live the same life. You can't do it because it's like, I'm hungry, but I'll never go to a table. I'll never eat. I am going to do it. See, you've got to go and feed on the way. That's the preaching of the way. You've got to go and feed on the way of God. And fellowship one with another. We need one another more now than we ever did need each other is now. Did you hear the prophet? He says we need one another more now. But in the, there is what we call a culture, a counseling culture where I'm done with them. I don't need them. Uh, I, I'm done with them. I'm cutting them off. But you can't cut fellow believers off. You can't cut the people that the Holy Ghost has mandated to cancel. You've got to go to them and fellowship with them and strengthen and solidify them and not say you are a private person. There is no such a thing as a Christian being a private person. You've got to be open. If Jesus was a private person, you would have not been saved. If Jesus was a private person, he would have not helped the disciples. If Jesus was a private person, he would have never visited the sinners to convince them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must not borrow the worldly jargon in order to avoid responsibility. I'm a private person. If you're a private person, how did you come into the message? The person that testified to you, were they private? The person that molded and and, and had a formative influence on you with a private person. Nonsense. There is no such thing as a private person here. When you come and you become part of the body of Christ, you can't be in the battle as a soldier and say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna interact with other soldiers in this battle because I'm a, I'm a private person. You are, you are goodness. <laughs> you are really misleading yourself. Now, we need, we need, we need each other more now than ever. Even at minister's level, you can never be self-sufficient. You need other ministers to fellowship with, to visit them and they visit you. Even at the eldership level, elders need one another 
And I think a lot of mess that we have seen in the message of the hour is because our elders operated in isolation and they never held each other accountable. They just say, ah, we are sovereign. That's their own space. We are not going to get involved in their things. We're just going to pray for them while we are here. No, 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 no. If you are a message believer and you quote my prophet and you preach about this message, you represent me, whether I like it or not. And if there is misrepresentation, I owe it to you to call you and say, no, we don't do it like this. It's a misrepresentation. Accountable relationships is one of the pillars of discipleship. In the message of faith, paragraph 19. (laughs) Here I need to mention some time back the way a brother got baptized. Married brother. After he got baptized, he was excited. He told his wife about the things of God. And the wife was a bit reluctant. And this marriage, new convert, spoke to young men about his wife not understanding the message. The young men, zealous, rushed to the brother's house and began to speak to the wife while the brother is there about how the wife, the wife should do things, how the house should be. They created more and more city than what was there initially because to the wife, these young men, none of them is married, but they're here after I've been married for over 10 years They want to tell me how to run my house. You see, that's that's being overzealous without experience. Those things are are the things that are upsetting. We have seen it. A young person comes into the message, receives the message, gets excited, goes home, tells his drunk uh, father that he's a demon. Lack of experience, but being Overzealous. We are not at the same stage of maturity in the church. That's why we've got elders, and elders not only the pastor and the deacons, we've got elders in terms of sisters, elderly sisters that have been around, experienced, they've seen things, they've been through a lot, and they know a lot. Now, a new recruit should depend on experienced. Uh, believers. Experience is very critical. In the message of faith, paragraph 19, it says, you wouldn't want a doctor to operate on you that never had an experience. (laughs) Brother, imagine you get into, you've got a heart problem, you go into theater, and a doctor comes to introduce himself. He says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm Dr. Madiba. Uh, you know, I just recently graduated last week. Oh, gee, the tertiary life was excellent, uh, but you are my first patient. I'm going to do a heart up on you. You're going to jump out of that bed because this man is not experienced. That's why even when it comes to ministry, the Bible says a pastor should not be a novice because he will be overtaken by the enemy. So in the message, Faith, paragraph 19, He says, 
you wouldn't want a doctor to operate on you that never had an experience. You, you was his first patient. Certainly not. You need Christians who's got experience, who knows how to trust God. You, every one of us, you need experienced Christians who know how to trust God. You know, somebody that can tell you, sister, what you are going through, I went through that. I had the same difficulty. I had the same challenge. Yes, I prayed about it during the time when the trial was there, and I felt that God was distant. But sister, in waiting upon the Lord, I failed to wait. I did this. It created more problems. But when I came to my weeds end, and I committed everything to God, sister, things began to move. The Lord answered in a mighty way. That is why I am where I am today. Learn from my experience and don't do mistakes that I have done. That, that's the beauty of experience. You use somebody's experience to avoid mistakes that they committed when they did not know better. But for that, experienced Christians, they must make themselves accessible. Accessible not only in giving us glorified stories. Give us those horror stories. Give us those tough moments. Give us those uphill experiences. Give us those valley experiences. And tell us how you came out of it so that we tap into your experience that although I'm going through this dark tunnel, but based on my sister's experience and based on my brother's experience, based on my elder's experience, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Because Christianity is not a picnic, it's a battlefield. Show us your scars. Show us your wounds. Show us how they got healed and what you did for them to be the healing, to be expedited. Tell us all those things. And the more we learn, the better we become. Now, let us look at the early church. They had no, I'm a private person. Uh, love my space. In the book of Acts 2, verse 41 to 43, it says, they, Then they that lately received his word were baptized, new converts. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Do you realize how big this number? 3,000 souls. Imagine, they never said, the church is too big. I, I can't do anything. We are just too many. Only if we were smaller, we would, no, no excuses. Listen to that. And they continued in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So they will listen to the doctrine and they fellowshiped. What makes Christians today, especially message believers, to be weaker 
There is no fellowship. Yes, there is doctrine, there is preaching, but there is no fellowship around the doctrine. Every time when there is a fellowship, it's a battle. One takes out the assault. I believe it this way. I believe it that way. It's no longer a fellowship to solidify you young recruits. I remember when I came into the message after I got baptized, a week after, we met somewhere. It was a group of brothers and we just had lunch and we were fellowshipping. And they were telling, talking about millennium, the rapture, the resurrection. When I came out there, I knew quite a lot and I was quite solidified to see fellow believers being able to expound on those things. But today it is no longer the case. Experienced Christians are too busy and too private and obsessed with private spaces. And they continue to steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. I'm not going to take it further to show you what they did because it will seem very much uh, improbable in the time where we are living because later on they sold all their assets and put them into crowdfund and they just lived a common life. It cannot be done today. But I'm simply saying what can be done, let it be done. In a sense that they were together, listened to the weight together, fellowshiped around the weight, broke the bread together, had prayers and fear came upon every soul. And when God saw the unity, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, spiritual support for new converts. I see new converts coming in, but they are poorly trained. In no time, they come for a season, then they leave. And after they have left, they didn't even understand what is all about. But some of these things are structural. We'll get into them some other time. Now listen to New converts should keep old converts alive and reminiscent of their own wonderful moments on conversion. Brother, when we came into the message, <laughs> if a person wanted to be baptized, there was just an excitement from everyone. Come in, brother, you have done a wonderful job. When you've got time, come and visit me. I've got some books that I can give to you. Come, let's pray together. If you've got any questions, am I available? Here is my mobile number. You can call me anytime. Today, even when people are no longer interested in attending baptismal services. The excitement that heaven has is not mirrored by the excitement in church anymore. When one gets baptized, it's more like, are you really, do you really know what you are getting yourself into? Same thing with married people. If a new person, if a person, one a young person wants to get married, they give them that look. Do you really know what you are getting yourself into? Because they experienced the experience of veterans in the in church has been contaminated by so many things. I can mention some of them are wounds, some of them are politics, but I'm not on that. But when a young person comes to Christ, 
They should remind you of the, on the time, the time when you came in. You should be as enthusiastic and say, I remember when the Lord picked me up out of the mud of sin and justified and sanctified me and filled me with the Holy Ghost. It is my desire that my brother, my sister can experience such the joy. But a lot of times, a new convert comes in, you are fighting as to who, 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 is, who are they going to be a disciple of? We need to tell them about our politics. We as this church, we must never visit that church. Goodness, poor discipleship, poor spiritual training. And a lot of times when you zoom in on those people, a lot of times you find that life is not on par with the word of God. Staunch Christian. Let's, let's, let's listen to this young girl that the prophet speaks about as I'm going to wrap up. In this message, standing in the gap is run about three paragraphs. You'll bear with me. Paragraph 45. Now here in Lowesville, Kentucky, not long ago, a minister was talking that there was a young lady. She had waited a little long life to be in life to be married, somewhere around her 25, 30 years. She was a fine and staunch Christian girl. And there was a certain man in Lowesville that wasn't. He hadn't lived such a good life. He had run to dances and road houses and so forth. But one day he found pardon for his sin and he became a, a real Christian, real staunch Christian. About a year later, he fell in love with this young lady and the young lady immediately fell in love with him and they were married. Carry on. And after they lived together for about two years, they said that this young lady said to her husband one day, she said, Dear, I suppose that's kind of hard for you. Just a, a new Christian. Said, I've been a Christian since a little girl. But for you, a young Christian, to have to stand all the wiles and temptations that goes with it after you have sinned so long. He said, well, it does become a battle. She said, I want you to remember one thing, that if the enemy does upset you somewhere and you fall and you go back into sin, don't stay away from home. I want you to come on home. said, you are going to find at home the same wife that you married. And said, I will help you to pray back and pray through and get back to God again. I don't want you to stay away. said, look, I married you upon the basis not of what you were, but I married you because I loved you. And she said, no matter what you do, I still love you. I married you because I loved you. And the man that day went to work and was heard repeating the place where he was working. He said, now, how could a man do anything wrong against something like that? 
when a man, a woman that loves him so much that no matter what he did, was willing to come back and take him again and try it again. Now, you multiply that by a billion. Then you have some idea of what the love of God is. Now, brethren, as I'm coming to the end of this broadcast, look at the, this young girl. It was Merita. Imagine if we, had, if we staunch Christian tell young ones, you are just new, the battle is going to be raging. The devil's guns are going to be aimed at you. It's going to be hard. But when it is hard, don't be afraid to come back to church. Don't be afraid to come back to me as the person that I've I set myself aside to provide spiritual counseling to. Tell me about your ups. Tell me about your challenges. Tell me where the devil, your overruns with the devil. I will listen and I'll pray with you and I'll pray until you and God are reconciled. That is the scriptural and spiritual training that is needed in the message of the hour. But today, we have adopted a self-righteous attitude. You know, in our time, we never did things like this. But wait, the prophet says the devil is more vicious now than then. So that means the young ones and young converts that are coming have need experienced, experienced Christians. What breaks my heart, you had men that used to have the joy of salvation. They were singing and rendering items in early stages. And as time goes by, they don't want to do anything of that sort. They have resigned themselves into their private corner and they don't want anyone into that corner. Until we say, brother, you remember how you used to sing for us? Say, no, I can't sing anymore. What happened? Some of them have been engulfed by church politics. Some of them have been wounded by fellow believers. And instead of providing counseling, they are regurgitating or reminiscing about their betrayers. If they've got a new convert, they say, you know, I was betrayed. Never trust anyone. But that was not the gospel of Jesus Christ, despite him being betrayed. He doesn't say to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Be careful that no one betrays you. He doesn't say that. He says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus, after the resurrection, when he spoke to the disciples, he did not speak of his wounds. Actually, he never even made Judas a sermon. Wow. Jesus, after the resurrection, he never made Judas a sermon. He never came with a sermon titled, Betrayers. Be careful of who you know, say. But a lot of ministers and a lot of believers, experienced believers, are preaching their wounds, are fellowshipping around their wounds. 
and young ones are there being suffocated about this negativity that has been transmitted by people that have been low. And that is why now there is a poor spiritual training in the camp. Yes, they betrayed you. Yes, they gossiped about you. Yes, they rejected you. Yes, they undermined you. But that is in the past. Can't you use that as a learning instead of transmitting bitterness as a launch, as a, as a spring, use it as a springboard for young believers and say, listen, when you are called by God, it doesn't matter who rejects you. It doesn't matter who says no to you. It doesn't matter who undermines you. When the Lord says, you are my person, he will be with you through thick and thick. Learn from me. I've been betrayed. I don't want to speak about the details of it because it is of no use. I'm not defined by what has happened to me. I'm defined by who I was before it be happened and who I was when it happened and who I am even after it happened. Don't preach your wounds. Don't fellowship your wounds. Provide a solid spiritual training. And I'm going back to my question. Who are you counseling? Who are you worried of spiritually? Who are you praying for? Who are you providing formative influence upon? Who are you establishing in the weight? Who can trust and regard you as reliable and dependable? Who comes to you when they are in trouble and the devil has caused a storm in their life? If you can't think of any and you are not doing any of those things, it's a poor display of discipleship and you need prayer so that you come and become a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Not a disciple of a church, not a disciple of a pastor, but of Jesus Christ, where you can bring people into the presence of Christ, where you can, you can establish, equip them, not with church politics, but equip them with the word of God. Then we will regard you as a trusted reliable and dependable soldier of the cross. As we come to the end of the broadcast, shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we appreciate you for your grace and mercy. We appreciate you for the time that you have granted unto us. I pray for everyone that will listen to this broadcast. May you help them and purify their objectives and their motives, that those objectives and motives should be in alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that there should be an accurate display of discipleship. Help us to hold each other accountable with love without being condescending towards one another. I pray, dear God, especially during this time, we look at the crisis 
that the health system finds itself in. But dear God, there is still balm in Gilead. You, God, you are a healer. You are a place of refuge. We pray, dear God, for every brother and every sister. We pray for families, some of those that may have been hospitalized. May they be such a power of deliverance. Doctors cannot do anything, but there is a great physician that we can come to, and he will touch us, and we will be well. If there is anyone that is sick, that is within a reach of my voice, via this medium, may you touch them and heal them completely. If there is someone that has been discouraged with a foggy mind, may you clear their mind. May you solidify them. All these things, dear God, I ask them because I know you are reliable, you are trustworthy and dependable. Hence, I can approach you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you richly until we meet again. God bless you. Wednesday, 6 o'clock. God bless you richly. Amen.